be in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and as you see on the screen, we are starting a new series this morning called Selfless. Now, if you're new with us, or maybe this is first time in a long time, let me just catch you up. We have been moving line by line through the book of 1 Corinthians, and just kind of section by section, and what we've been doing is we've been breaking it up into little mini-series, just to kind of keep it fresh and a little bit interesting for you. And uh, so we just finished Relationship Status out of chapter 7, where Paul talked about marriage and divorce and singleness. And now we're starting this new section, and really that section in the letter divides between chapters 8 through 10, where Paul is going to address a lot about personal rights and personal freedoms. And so we named this section Selfless because as believers in Jesus Christ, we don't want to be selfish people we want to be selfless. So we don't want to think about ourselves more. We want to think about ourselves less. We don't want to serve ourselves more. We want to serve others more. So we want to serve ourselves less as we serve others more. And so if you've got your Bible and you look in chapter 8 in 1 Corinthians, Paul turns and starts this new section out. And you might say, well, how do you know he starts a brand new section? Well, that's a good question. When you are reading through your Bible, and especially a letter like this, notice how he starts off verse 1. He says, now concerning food offered to idols. And that those two words right there, now concerning. He did this at the beginning of chapter 7 where he changes themes. And he says, now concerning. And all right, he's doing it again in chapter 8. He's going to do it again later on in the letter. And so that as a reader is telling you something new is coming, a, a new theme, a new section that he is about to start. So he's kind of saying it this way. You guys have been texting me this, tweeting this, posting this, writing me, calling me, and you have this question. And so let me answer the question. And here was kind of the issue he was taking up within the church, and he's going to spend time in chapter 8 answering. He says, now concerning food offered to idols. We know that all possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. He says, now concerning food offered to idols. Here's what was happening within the church. This question was being thrown around. Is it okay to eat meat that has been used to sacrifice to an idol. So is it okay to use meat that has been used in a pagan temple, in idol worship? Now I know for many of you, you have never thought about that question, right? Because when you go to HEB and you go to Kroger and you're picking out your brisket or your New York strip, you do not pause and sit there at the meat counter and go, has this been used in the idol temple? Should I eat this? You, you don't think that. More than likely, you're like me. Is this a good price? Is this a good cut of meat? You know, all right, it is. Boom, I, it's, it's going on the smoker here in a couple hours, right? But understand, this is still a very real issue, especially in parts of our world, even in our own country, even in our own town. I got a question after first service that I'd never gotten in my whole life. And they were like, hey, you preached through this passage, and I've got this question. I was like, oh, I've never thought through that one, and I can't solve that for 1030, so I'm not going to tell you what that question is. I still need to work on my answer for that. But this is a real question, because there's a lot of people who would be, uh, you know, leaving the Hindu faith or Buddhist or Islam, that idol worship would take place. 
where they would say, hey, can we eat meat that was used in the temple? Can we do that? So maybe the, as at first glance, you think, well, oh man, this doesn't have anything to do with me today. I'm off the hook. I don't really need to listen. Let me put you back on the hook and let me tell you why I need to listen. Okay? Let's change the question out for application purposes. And let's ask ourselves this question. Just because you have the right to do something, is it still right to do? Because that's what Paul's getting to here. This is really an issue of personal liberty. This is an issue of rights. So just because you have the right to do it, is it right to do? And so what you're going to see through this section is really Paul, I think, calling us to be selfless Christians. And here's what a selfless Christian would look like. Let's look at the screen. He says, being a selfless Christian means being willing to make personal sacrifices to help someone else grow in their faith. Now think through that with me a little bit, and we're going to unpack it more. So if I want to be a selfless Christian, I want to think of myself less, I want to serve more people, then I have to be willing to make personal sacrifices to help someone else grow in their faith. So therefore, I may have the right to do something, but is it still right to do to help that person grow in their faith? Now, in order to be selfless, we need to have the right approach in this conversation. So let's look in verses one through three about the right approach that we need to have. Paul says, now concerning food, offered to idols. We know that all possess knowledge. But notice he says, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something that he does not know yet as he ought to know. Verse 3 is key, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So Paul is telling us something here that's very important when we approach these types of conversations on personal liberties and rights. And even though if I have the right to do it, is it still right? Is he says this, knowledge minus love puffs up. Knowledge minus love can lead you to pride. But don't make the mistake that the rock group, the Beatles made. Because the Beatles said this, all you need is love, right? Remember that song? Love is all you need. Some of you don't look so spiritual at me. You know you sang it. You know you were there jamming it out in your car. Love, love, love. All you need is love. Love is all you need. Love is all you need. That's why I don't sing on the praise team. You're welcome, right? That's why you're sitting there looking at me like, just do what you do and let Matt do does what he does, all right? I got you. But the Beatles were dead wrong. Love is not all you need. You also need knowledge. So in these conversations, you need a balance of knowledge and love as we approach one another in helping build each other up in our faith when it comes to issues like personal liberties and things we might be able to do. And so Paul's saying, no, no, we need a balance of knowledge and love. That's the right approach. But then we need the right information, right? We need the right knowledge. So he picks up in verse 4, and he says, Therefore, as eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and from whom we exist. And there's one Lord, Jesus Christ, 
through whom we all things and through whom we exist. He says, however, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Notice verse 8. He says, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. In this culture, you bought meat from two places. The first place that you could buy meat to eat was at a private vendor. It was out in the marketplace. Now, this is going to be your expensive option if you go the private route in the marketplace with the vendor, all right? So, this is like you go into the grocery store today and you head to the organic section, all right? And you're looking, is this cage-free? Was this grass-fed? Is this organic? You're going to pay a little bit more for the meat from the private vendor. But then there was another spot that many folks bought their meat from. And that was outside of the back of the pagan temple. See, that was the leftover meat. That wasn't the meat that was consumed in the sacrifice. It might have been offered to the idol and the worship, but it wasn't burned up. And so a lot of people said, okay, this is what we can afford. This is the meat in which we're going to buy. We're going to buy it right out of the back of the pagan temple. So then within the church, as you've seen within the church of Corinth, you usually have two groups. And both those groups are usually on extreme sides. So you had one group who says this, listen, there's only one God and all those idols are false. And we're a little further down the line than you are in your faith. You know, we work the snow cone stand at Vacation Bible School. We helped out in the missions department. Uh, I taught the fourth grade class. I've worked in the special needs room. I've taught life groups. I've been a deacon. I've done all these things. I'm a little further down the line than you are in my faith and where you are. But listen, you need to know the idol's false. Not a big deal. Eat up. Totally okay. That's one group. But then you got another group who goes, you know, I might not be as far down the line as you are. I just, I just got saved last week or maybe last month or last year. I, I'm still new at this. And, and yeah, in my head, I know that, that all those idols I used to worship are, are false. And there's only one God and he's the creator God and he's made me and Jesus died for me. And, and I get that, but, but man, that meat to the idol in the pagan temple, when, when I go there to buy it or I know it's come from there, it still does something inside of me. It, it, it still bothers me. It's really working on my conscience and on my heart. And, and yeah, I know my head telling me that it's okay, but, but in my heart, it just, it, I, I'm still struggling. And I don't know if I really should eat it. And, and, and it just, it's going against my conscience of what God's calling me to do. See, it's still an emotional attachment that they're working through. This is more than leaving a religion. This was leaving a culture. This was leaving how many of them were brought up in their homes. This was going against mom and dad and grandparents and traditions. It's more just not about just where the meat was bought. I mean, this has a big emotional tie and connection in this group here. And they're struggling. And so what Paul is saying is we have to have a right understanding of this. A right approach in these conversations, we have to balance love and knowledge. 
We have to remember constantly in our lives, there is one true God. And this is the creator God and the God who's made you very special. And in God's design, his design was for you to be with him forever, all of eternity. But because of our sin, that sin separated us for God. But God has made a way. And that's what I love to think about in this passage is all those people who are worshiping those idols. Those idols say, if you want to come to me, you got to find your way. If you want to come to me, you got to do enough good things. If you want to come to me, you've got to cut your own path. And, by the, and I, you know, by the end of the day, I hope you cut it well in order to get to me. But God says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to call you to do that. I'm going to make a way. I'm going to cut the path for you. I'm going to send my son, Jesus. You don't have to worship that idol who's demanding all your attention and all those things for you to get to him. No, no, you just come to me and receive Jesus because Jesus has made that way to be with me. Isn't that good news? Amen? Amen. So Paul says, listen, there are some of you who understand. Yeah, man, it's, it's idol. It's false. Eat the brisket. There's some of you are like, I know it's false, but I still don't know if I should eat the brisket. That's why verse 7 intrigues me a lot. Because when you pick up in verse 7, he says, however, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience is being weak. And is defiled. It's at the beginning of verse 7 where I have pause. And I paused a lot this week to think about it. When he says, however, not all possess this knowledge. See, the question we need to ask is really, is Paul saying they don't possess the knowledge of verses 4 through 6? That there is only one true God in through made everything and through whom we exist? There's only one Lord named Jesus through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Is it, however, not all possess that knowledge of verse 6? Or is it, however, not all possess the knowledge that the idols are false and verse 8, that food will not commend us to God. We're no worse off if we don't eat. Which, which is it that knowledge they're lacking is the question. Well, I would actually answer it this way. I think it's both. I think we have to understand in Paul's day and our day, there are many people who don't possess the knowledge that there is one true Lord, that Jesus is the Savior. You heard last week from our missionary friends who serve in South Asia of the vast amount of lostness in which they serve. Major cities of millions upon millions of people in a region of a world where there may be no Christian in that city. You know, I have an app on my phone that leads me to pray for unengaged, unreached people groups each day. And an unengaged, unreached people group would simply mean a group of people that has less than 2% of the population who are believers in Jesus Christ. This morning, I prayed for the people of Nepal. Over in Nepal, less than 2% of the people are believers in Jesus Christ. And you think about that, not all possess that knowledge. In our world today, we're told that close to 1.7 billion people have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. 1.7 billion. 
If you think in the United States of America, there's close to 230 million people who are not believers in Jesus Christ. State of Texas, there's almost 20 million people who are not believers in Jesus Christ in the state of Texas. In Alvin, five miles from where you sit, in a five-mile radius of where you are sitting right now, close to 60% of our population in a five-mile radius of where we are sitting and worshiping the one true God does not attend a worship service of any kind on a Sunday morning. And you might just sit there and think, well, wait, hang on one second, we're the Bible Belt, right? This is Texas, we're all saved. Should we all be Christians? No. Not all possess the knowledge of the one true Lord by the name of Jesus. I was asked by a friend recently in a text conversation this question. They said, uh, could you answer this question for me? I was like, sure. Now, text conversations and answering questions is always a fun way to go on deep theological issues, but I dived right on in. He said, do you believe that if someone never hears the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, never hears about Jesus when they die, that they go to heaven. Do you believe that? And I thought, boy, that's going to be an interesting one to answer by text, but why not? Let's do this. I said, no, I don't believe that. I believe that people who do not hear the name of Jesus Christ when they die, unfortunately, don't get an automatic pass into heaven, but would be in hell for all of eternity. And I said, here's why I believe that. Because the Bible tells us that there is one God, and this God is creator God. And we are all accountable to this God. But the Bible tells us that any one of us can look out at nature and know that God exists. It also tells us that we are all sinners. And whether we've heard the name of Jesus or not, within our hearts we have rebelled against God. And therefore we need a Savior to save us. There is a penalty for sin and that penalty is hell. But God out of His love and justice and mercy has made a way for us to escape that place for all of eternity. But I don't believe that people who have never here would automatically get a pass in heaven. As tragic as that is, I don't believe that. And they kind of shot back on a couple things and said, wait a minute, really? That, that's just unloving to say. And I said, really, honestly, it boils down to this. Is Jesus telling the truth or is Jesus telling a lie? They said, what do you mean? I said, because John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. Was he telling the truth or was he telling a lie? Because if he was telling a lie and there is another way to get into heaven but through faith in him, then he's no longer a savior. And he's no longer someone to worship if there is another way, a back door into heaven, if you will. But if he's telling the truth, if he's telling the truth that he is the way, he is the, the life and the truth, and no one is getting into God's heaven but through faith in Christ, then when we look at a text that says, however, not all possess this knowledge, it gives us urgency to do what we do. See, if you get a pass into heaven for never hearing the name of Jesus Christ, why in the world are we here? If you can go to heaven without hearing the name of Jesus, then we just did an awful disservice to the kids we were entrusted to last week by telling them about Jesus. I recently just watched a, a movie called Greyhound by Tom Hanks. Sucker for Tom Hanks movies, okay? And this movie was about World War II. He is a, a, a captain in charge of a destroyer ship 
that's leading a convoy across the Atlantic in the middle of World War II. And they're convoying out merchant ships and troops and other battleships to get to the fighting in Europe. And they're being chased by German U-boats seeking to destroy them and take them off that mission. And as I'm watching that movie, I'm sitting there thinking that's a picture of the church of Jesus Christ. We are convoying together. We are battleships. We are troop deployment ships that deploy the troops out into the battle because Satan is after to steal the souls that God has created. And we have the weapon and the ammunition named Jesus. And that's what we do. We are no love boat in here. You got me? We're not a love boat. I'm not your entertainment coordinator. I am the guy who says this is what we're to do. And we are going to win people for the name of Jesus Christ because He and He alone saves. And you're not getting into God's heaven until you know that knowledge. Amen? So however, not all possess that knowledge. That's what he's saying in verse 7. But however, not all possess the knowledge that these idols are false. That it's okay to eat the meat. So we have to have the right approach to this. The right understanding. But we have to have the right way to serve. The right way to serve each other. I want you to look in verses 9-13 through 13 as we look at the right type of care to show. Look at verse 9. He says, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? Verse 11, so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother from whom Christ died. Verse 12, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Paul says we have the, the right approach. We want to balance this conversation in love and knowledge. The right understanding that Jesus is Lord, that our, our food that we eat is not going to commend us to God. It's also not going to make us unapproachable to God. But we want to show the right type of care. The right type of care. That's what he says in verse 9. We, we take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And we don't want to have the attitude as believers in Jesus Christ will well, I know more than you, and you just need to get over that. No, no, Paul's saying this is a, we need to help people along. This is an issue that we need to think through. Just because I have the right to do it doesn't mean it's right to do. Because he offers us a very serious warning in verses 11 through 12 that, that we don't want to cause other brothers and sisters in Christ to sin. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience, verse 12. When it's weak, you, you sin against Christ. So, so Paul's saying we don't, we don't want to go there. Right? So I need to think about when I'm around people, what I am drinking and maybe eating and watching and saying. Because that brother or sister in Christ may have conscious issues on some of those things. And I need to take care. I, I care about them. I don't want to see them fall into sin. I don't want to see them maybe fall into an old pattern of sin. I want them to grow. I want to help them. I want that right type of care for them is what Paul's saying. So therefore, Paul arrives at this conclusion in verse 13. He said, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat 
lest I make my brother stumble. Paul's saying here's the right approach. When I'm with you, if I'm over at your house, we're out at dinner, if I know this is an issue for you, and we've talked about this, and I know your conscience is weak in this area, Paul's saying then, for that meal, hold the brisket and pass the broccoli. For you, I'll do that. I, I won't eat the brisket that night. Just give me a little more broccoli. Carrots, I'm still debating on. But, you know, a little broccoli and cheese, I can handle that, right? So that, that's, that's the right type of care. That if I need to surrender my right, if I need to make a personal sacrifice to help you grow in your faith, I'll do that because I don't, I don't want to be a selfish Christian. I want to be selfless. And selfless Christians make personal sacrifices in order to help someone else grow in their faith. For some of you this morning, that's an easy ask. You would hear that and go, yeah, I could do that. I, 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 that's no problem. I, I'd love to serve my brother or sister in Christ in that way. I don't take any issue with you. There's some of you, though, that honestly, you have issue with that. Because you're going to read this text and you've heard what I've said and you're going to look and look at me and go, that's on them, not on me. That's their problem, not my problem. That, that, that's their conscience to deal with, not mine. I, I, I know it's okay. But that's for them to work out, not for me. And, and let me just say this morning, if, if that's you, if that's your thought pattern right now, if that's your thought, then... Then, then might I just simply say the Holy Spirit just probably uncovered an idol in your own life? If your thought is, that's their issue, not mine. Then the Holy Spirit just showed you an idol you need to take care of today. And that's between you and the Holy Spirit. But let me encourage you with one passage. One, one more step to take. And if you've got your Bible open, let me show you what will tear down that idol. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians is just a few more books over to the right. And for all of us this morning, let's go to Philippians chapter 2. And, and Paul is writing in the letter to the church of Philippi. And, and at the end of chapter 1, there is some conflict within the church. And Paul begins to call them to unity and pick up in verse 4. In chapter 2 of Philippians, he says, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So what Paul says in verse 5 is you have the mind of Christ right now as believers in Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives within you. You possess his mind. You're able to think in a way like Jesus thinks. So he says, look out not only for your own interest." but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. And then he gives us an example of how Christ looked out for our own interest. He said, though he was in the form of God, he did not count it equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
So at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. He says there in verse 4 again, let each of you look out not for his own interest, but for the interest of others. Don't be a selfish Christian. Be selfless. A selfless Christian is willing to make personal sacrifices in order to help someone else grow in their faith. Paul says you have that mind of Jesus. Put that into practice because look at what Christ has done. Christ has given up his personal rights. Christ made a personal sacrifices by leaving all of the glory of heaven to come to this pig pen of an earth. That Jesus walked among us all. That Jesus was tempted in all points to sin like we are, but never sin. Jesus was willingly to go to the cross to take my sin and your sin upon himself. He was spit on, mocked, beaten, crucified for you. He said, here's how I'm looking out for your interest. Right now, you are separated from the Father, and I am making a way right now by my sacrifice back to him by paying the penalty for your sin. I'm laying down my rights for you. They put him in a borrowed tomb. He didn't even have a tomb of his own. He only needed it to be borrowed because he wasn't going to stay very long. Three days later, he rose from the grave. And he says, I'm looking out for my, you. I'm looking out for your interest, not mine. I'm coming out of this tomb to beat death on your behalf, to beat hell on your behalf, to bring you to the Father now through all of eternity. Jesus gave us that model. And Jesus right now says, maybe you don't possess that knowledge. But you can come to me right now. You can come and believe and receive me and know God now and for all of eternity. A selfless Christian is willing to make personal sacrifices in order to help someone else grow in their faith. I want to invite you to bow and pray just right where you are. What is the idol that God has uncovered that this morning you need to tear down? Maybe this morning you need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you tear that idol down. Whatever that is, God is powerful enough to tear it down in your life. Maybe it is the idol of dependency. You are depending upon your own good morals and work to get to God. You're going to continue to pay that idol all through your life, not ever knowing if you've paid enough. But Jesus says, I've paid it all. I've paid it all for you. And right now today, you come to Jesus Christ and say, I'm no longer depending upon myself, my good works and my morals to get to God. I'm going to come to Jesus. And I'm going to believe in Him as the one true God of my life. Maybe it's today, honestly, the idol of selfishness. You hear a message like this and you think, there is no way under the sun I'm doing that for somebody else. I want to challenge you right now to see that idol in your life. Look to the Savior you say you believe in. Look at His example and to tear that idol down. And to say, if asked, I'm willing to make a personal sacrifice to bring someone else to faith to build up their, their, their faith in Christ. Maybe this morning it's another idol in your heart and your mind. Psalm 119, verse 59 says, When I think of my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. And right now, you have thought about your life, and you need to turn it right back to God, as the psalmist says. I'm turning back to your word.
I'm going to give you a moment to pray, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to continue to worship. And I'm going to invite you to, to continue to, to pray what's, what's on your heart, whether you're in your home or in this worship center. You go to God right now. Father, we can build all types of terrible idols in our lives. We can build all types of, of terrible things to worship. They leave us empty. They often leave us alone. And they leave us hopeless. But with Christ, we say, build our lives. Because you are the master creator. You are the master builder. And with Jesus, we have new life. And so today I pray... And with that new life of Christ, we say, build us. Jesus, build us. Tear down the idols in which we worship. Father, help us to be willing servants, willing to sacrifice, order in order to build up the faith in another person we pray in Christ's name. Amen.